What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. Welcome back, everybody, to the second edition of our discussion on real estate investing. Today, I've got my Mormon brothers from another Mormon mother, Steve and Derek, actually mothers, they're from separate mothers. Steve and Derek are joining me today again. How are you guys doing? You guys ready to jump back into it? Yeah, we're ready. Good. We're Good ready. Talk. Yep. You guys have always been a barrel of laughs. <laughs> Kicking it off the same way. Everyone can see who really carries the weight around here, but we won't go into that. Not joking. <laughs> so let's jump in. I can carry stuff too. Yeah. Derek Your carries mom, no weight. He hasn't eaten food in like stuff. months. <laughs> That's true. Derek weighs like a buck fifty now. Probably get blown over stiff breeze. I'm actually getting close to that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I weighed a buck fifty. Second grade was a great year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump in. Last time we discussed basically how we look at passive income via real estate investing, how we're using it. And today we're going to get more into the nitty gritty of what our portfolios look like, debt and leverage and stuff like that. These real estate podcasts might go on for three or four. I don't know. I know we're at least three, but I could see it going four just because there's a lot of stuff. So, But first today, let's move on to where we are each at. Let's give listeners a snapshot of where we are right now in relation to our portfolios and our acquisitions, because I know when I've been a listener or sitting in lectures or anything like that, like, that's what I'm wondering. Like, dude, like, what does your, your stuff look like? And we're here to share the good, bad, and the ugly. So Derek, let's start with you. How many properties do you have? Where are they located? What's the scoop? Yeah, so I have uh, just over 20 total rental units. About half are in my area in East Texas and then half in the St. Louis area. Okay. And are these single families, multis? Do you manage it yourself? Do you have a manager? Yeah. They're all single family rentals except for uh, three of them are duplexes. Okay. I don't manage any of them. When I was before I had bought anything, when I was reading books and getting ready to start investing, I knew that I wanted it to be as passive as possible. I didn't, I knew that I wanted real estate to be a big part of my portfolio and I didn't want to go into it and hearing all the headaches of property management. I wanted to figure out the best way to go into this knowing that I could keep it going long term. So it was important for me to have a property manager from the get-go that I could depend on. One thing I think difference between you and I, and I know we'll touch more on this, but I think it's a difference in having a mentor. I know you and I talked a lot about it. not saying I'm the only mentor you had, or I didn't even call myself a mentor, but like looking back, like I managed my first 20 properties. You said, you know, I knew going into it, I didn't want to have to spend the time. I didn't want to have to go check toilets, handle calls in the middle of the night. This isn't working. This isn't working. So you started right off the bat with managers. Like I said, I managed my first probably 20 doors by myself and it wasn't probably as bad as you're imagining, but it was bad. I mean, 
I didn't like when the phone rang. I'm like, oh, geez, it's either a patient with a toothache on Saturday or somebody's AC isn't working. Which would be worse? That's a great question. Honestly, <laughs> uh, honestly, probably the AC. Yeah. <laughs> but I know I could have grown faster had I started with manager. Definitely helped me scale. So I think we'll probably talk yeah. about managers more as we go on. I haven't pictured it horribly, you know, that it's uh, that it's a huge hassle. But I'm, I mean, again, I've kind of viewed it as my my most precious commodity is is my time. And you know, if I get a, an emergency call on on dentistry, I mean, I'm not going to the office generally unless it's going to be five hundred to a thousand dollars plus, and it's going to take an hour or so. And that's uh, I'm there's just no way I'm going to get my uh, a return on my time for managing properties. And so it was, uh, again, there's not, I mean, we, we talked about since the beginning, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I think, I think I'm sure that there are definitely lessons that you learned managing properties that I may very well never learn. You know, like if my toilet doesn't work, I just have to call a plumber. Right. Derek, I hope you do the bug spray for all of your properties though. Cause that's, just in no. case that's your like specialty, right? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, but I think what was I going to say now before Steve cut me off with the bug joke that was well worth it. I don't know if I think about it. Oh, I think I imparted all my wisdom that I had to you. You know that I learned managing my my own properties, and um, and I'll <laughs> I'll sum that up. And it's Thank find you a good manager. <laughs> yeah, so That's save a lot of headaches. Steve, how about you? <laughs> Similar, I have uh, sixteen or fifteen single family units right now. Most of them are uh, three bedrooms with one or two baths. Some of them have a basement or a garage, which is a bonus. Most of them I purchased um, in smaller group packages. They're in the St. Louis area, overseen by a property manager who, you know, kind of like Derek was talking about, basically notifies me when a repair or something is needed so I can just pay for it. And yeah, They've, so far, so good. It's pretty straightforward. They're all really similar. No duplexes, no nothing special yet for me. And you're adding a couple, a uh, couple weeks from now, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, next Tuesday is the closing day. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. It's exciting. But um, what about you, Justin? You own like what half of Missouri? Is that right? Three fourths. Is it only half? <laughs> <laughs> okay, three fourths. Um, that sounds better. No, you guys built that up. Now, when I actually say what I am, I'm like, what are they talking about? That's not half of Missouri. <laughs> um, unless Missouri is really small. <laughs> I have, I think it's about 15 properties in the same area that you guys invest in in St. Louis, single family residences. Then I have 10 condos in. A different town. I mean, this is all, when I say a different town, I don't want you to think like halfway across the street. We're talking like 20 minutes one way. So I have 10 condos in a town just over from where I live. And I have 11 duplexes inside the town that I live. So around 47 doors, residential doors total. I would, I'd say over half of those are paid off completely. And the others have very good equity in them. It's It's part of the blessing of being old. And besides those, we have a home in Florida, which we're staying at right now. And then we rent that out when we're not down here. And besides that, we have three farms. So a little bit of diversity there. That's awesome. 
I'm still waiting for another and. And <laughs> nothing. I'm curious what you're growing on these farms. Yeah. That's something it's I CBD. don't know. <laughs> it's a miracle drug. <laughs> right. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Justin, can you, I think there's probably a lot of people that uh, are listening and thinking, okay, that's good amount of properties. That's got to be a, a good amount of cash flow and kind of looking, thinking, yeah, I, I think I might like to get there at some point. Can you give a timeline for everybody listening as far as, you know, how many years after practicing dentistry did, did you begin investing heavily in real estate? How long did it take you to get to the point where you're at? Did you have specific goals for a number of properties that you wanted to purchase each year? You know, can you talk about some stuff like that? Yeah, I can. I think it's good questions. And unfortunately, I don't, I'm not going to have the best answers, I think, but I'm going to do my best here. Thank you. So really for me, it didn't start right after I graduated uh, dental school because honestly, I didn't have a lot of money right after I graduated dental school to invest. And so I would say I probably really kicked it in gear. I would guess maybe a year or two out and then grew from there. But as far as goals, I didn't really set my goals on the number of properties as if we got closer with what I felt like was the end in sight. Like I've mentioned before, we had the goal for net cash flow that like was my bare butt minimum that, you know, was just one of the criteria I knew we had to have in place before I would sell my practice and retire from hands-on dentistry. So it wasn't a number of properties per se, um, because actually I've had more properties than and I think we'll touch on this in a minute, than what I actually own now. But I've condensed and, you know, sold some that had gained appreciation, paid off others, stuff like that, almost like a big Monopoly game, in order to get my cash flow where we wanted it to be. And as far as, like, growth or speed at which I did this, it was a lot of waxing and waning. Because there are still times, and this is kind of what I believe in, is, you know, sometimes you can't force a deal. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. So I would go six months without buying anything at times. And then I would go a month where I would buy four or five properties. It all just depended on what was available. But I always did my best to not kind of feel that pressure of, oh man, it's been two months. I need to find another property because I think that ends, you end up making bad deals. I believe in value investing, always looking for value. And like I said, if I find five great deals this month, I'll buy them. If I don't find one for three years, I'm not going to buy anything. So, and I think as you, that gets easier and easier as you go along. Like right now I would buy good deals, but I'm not, I don't have any pressure to do it. And that's a nice thing that comes with age and, you know, been doing it for a little while. So that's my answer. Like I said, how many years total? I mean, would have you kind of been at it at this point? 10, 15? I would say, I mean, really hardcore at it. Carry the one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'll stop asking. <laughs> I mean, I would say 10 to 12. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, probably. when did you feel, when did you feel really good at it? Like, was there a time when you're like, you know, is this like right now you can spot a deal and you, you can move on it fast? At what point were you, comfortable to say, 
I can look at a property. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to know. I'm going to know when to sell this one, or I know how much this is this will rent for. When did you feel really proficient in your journey over the last ten years? Yeah, it's definitely relative because I don't want it to come across the wrong way. Of you know, like I felt proficient, but Lord knows there's still a lot more for me to learn. But but you know, to answer the question, not dodge it. I would probably say, you know, for the last four years, so maybe five, six years into it, I felt really? really comfortable in my shoes of a good enough track record. And I had studied and I just felt like I knew, like, again, I think we go into this later. I don't remember if we do or not, but I always felt like my super power when it came to real estate investing. Like if everyone has one, I felt like mine was being able to recognize good deals because I spend the time watching the market every single day, like literally every single day. And people are like, oh, no, you can't mean every. And I really mean every freaking single day, <laughs> like even when we were on vacation, because I loved it. I loved doing it. You know, even if my wife and I were on the beach in Mexico, like on our honeymoon, like I probably had my computer out part of the day while she's reading and I'm looking what's hit the market, and what's going off the market. So you multiply that over years and man, you get really good. And not just me, but anybody would, if you put in that time, you get really good at recognizing those deals and seeing that value. And we're going to go more into that today, but you yeah. know, it's kind of like, um, that Glidewell's book outliers, like where it talks about 10,000 hours to be an expert, like I a hundred percent believe for me, that's about what it took for real estate to be in a place where I, now I can look at several deals and be like, okay, that's the best one. And I don't have to sit there and look at every minute detail like I did in the beginning. Yeah. Did I? So five more years, Derek. You'll get there soon. Yeah. Keep it up. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Keep it up, Rudy. <laughs> so here's a question that gets debated quite a bit with no right or wrong answer. And I want to see what you guys feel about it. How do you guys balance your debt to equity ratio? And I'm not talking about on each of your individual purchases yet. I'm talking about paying things down versus using that money to buy more properties. And I know my feelings have changed over time and I'll kick it off, but I want to know where you guys fall on the spectrum as well. You know, I've definitely have gotten, gotten more debt averse um, and probably even more risk averse as I've gotten older. And I know that's very relative. I'm not saying it's right for everyone. In fact, I'd say it's not probably right for everyone, but for me, I've gotten to the point where I like having a lot of equity in my properties. I just do. It helps me sleep at night. I like knowing no matter what, I have these properties no one can take from me unless I don't pay my taxes. I know I have, you know, at this point, several million dollars of equity in properties that I could borrow from and use to probably double the size of my portfolio as it stands. That being said, since I would then have a higher mortgage payment on those lines of credit, my cash flow would likely remain the same until I got to the point, you know, let's say 15 to 20, 25 years down the road when those properties, you know, this quote, second half of my portfolio started to mature and became paid off, in which case my cash flow would increase. I know I could do that, but I don't. And, you know, I think especially with being a dentist and having a dentist's income. I think we definitely have a leg up on competition with every purchase I've made over the years. And especially when I practice, I knew I had that. I knew I had the income at that point in time, 
you know, at that particular point in time, let's say five years ago, I bought a property. I knew I had that income. I didn't know I was going to have it five years down the road, 10 years down the road, two years down the road. So what I've always tried to do is find value and get a good property, roughly five to 15% below market value, and then put down at least 20% when I purchased. And I did this because although I didn't know the future, like I said, I knew I had the income at that, that time. So if I purchased at even 5% below market value and I put 20% down, I'm sitting at 25% equity on that property. It's possible, but it's unlikely that my property value will drop by 25%, even in a bad market, meaning where I would become upside down in that property. And like we touched on, as long as it's in the last episode, as long as it's rented and the tenant is paying, really doesn't matter what your property value is. Of course, we want it to appreciate, but at the end of the day, if you're going for cash flow, up or down movements for six months, a year, two years, three years, doesn't really matter. And earlier in my career, I was opposite. I was in the growth mode because to buy one property, pay it off, move to the next one, et cetera, would have taken me a long time to get to the point I needed to be at. And I knew I needed a certain amount of properties to bring in a certain amount of cash flow. So I had to accumulate and I was in an accumulation phase. I believe the highest I got to was around 63, 65 doors, at which point after running the numbers, I realized I have enough properties to be at the monthly cash flow point I knew I needed to be at to walk away from hands-on dentistry if I wanted. If I played the Monopoly game correctly, which we referred to earlier, and essentially capitulated what I had, I could sell some properties, I could pay off other properties, and get to that monthly cash flow number, which at that time was around $20,000 net per month, and be in a relatively safe equity position all the way across the board. So that's my story, my feelings, how they've kind of changed over time. Where are you guys at? Where do you guys fall on that spectrum? Yeah. Could I interrupt first and ask you one question about that, Justin? Sure. Did you really realize you kind of hit your financial freedom cash flow number that way? Like you just kind of ran the numbers one day and then you realized, oh, I'm pretty much here. Or did you, was this something you were kind of planning on and looking out for? And then you finally reached you know, that point at a specific time, or did you really just kind of one day say, looks like I'm, looks like I'm there. Kind of both, but really more of the former, not the latter. Meaning like after each property I bought, because like I said, sometimes I'd be on a tear. Like sometimes I wouldn't buy anything for several months, you know, six months wouldn't be unheard of, but then there'd be several times where like month and a half, I'd buy three or four plus properties. So I never like after each property, like, okay, I added that property. Now if I, you know, now that adds, of cash flow per month. Where's that put me on? You know, I didn't do that. So I would maybe revisit it, you know, and I probably kept like a running total roughly in my head. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'd say once a year, maybe twice a year, I would probably really sit down and figure out, okay, this is where we're at. This is what our equity looks like. This is what our cash flow looks like. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's how I did it. See, and I'm different there because every single property that I buy, it goes closing day. It goes right on the spreadsheet and all of those numbers get updated. I love playing with that <laughs> that timeline and updating and seeing exactly where I'm at. <laughs> and I think you're probably, I mean, you're on a faster track than I was, no doubt. And 
I mean, I think part of the reason is like you and I are so close. We've been close for a long time. Like, you know, it's possible you have that friend or mentor or whatever in your life where you're like, okay, I can see it done. You know, like there's the path I can take and I can probably beat him doing it. And I hope you do. And I've said that from day one. And I think that's really like, that's a big part of mentorship or hanging around the right people because I never had that. Totally. You know, I didn't have any friends who said, you know what? 38, I'm hanging it up and I'm walking and this is how I'm doing. I'm using real estate and I'm going to build my practice and stuff. Like I didn't have anybody do it, but if I did, I bet I could have done it several years earlier. And it's not to pat myself on the back. I'm a dumbass for not finding that person earlier, you know, cause I'm sure they're out there. I'm not yeah. the only one that's done it. You, um, you were Michael Jordan. So, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. And Derek is Kobe. Ooh, too soon. Yeah. And RIP. Uh, yeah. I was going to say that Steve too, too soon. <laughs> Thanks Steve. I mean, there's no doubt having the right mentors, having the right relationships, connections. I know it would have helped me and I didn't take advantage of it the way I should. It took me a long time to figure it out. I mean, this is, we're kind of getting off on a tangent, but when I found you, Justin, and I saw, I mean, pretty much everything that you were doing was exactly where I wanted to be. I wanted leadership and really taking the practice to the next level. I wanted lifestyle along with it. I wanted to be in real estate. So, you know, I knew I, you know, when I saw you, I knew if I can attach myself to that guy, man, and hold on, that's a, that's a a good move for me. (laughs) What you have. What? You're probably thinking, I know I could do it a lot better than he has. Oh, what you have, which is really, really how it should work. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think I've kind of talked about it before, but we're, we're so fortunate in this day and age where you can find people across the world, you know, you can, you, we just have access to so many people through podcasts and audiobooks and, and email that you really can find, you really can find those people that you can attach yourself to and, uh, get those people in your circle and you are, you are much more likely to reach your goals when you attach your, yourself to people that are that are doing where things that you want to do and are are where you want to be. Yeah, for sure. And we're not just touting ourselves here, people. We're not just saying me, Derek, or Steve, or TOP, or anything else. Like, but still, we are preaching. Find that person. Find those yeah. people. Right. Right. So going back, looking at debt equity stuff like that. Where are you guys at on that spectrum, Derek? Yeah. The way that I look at making these kinds of decisions is multifaceted, but there's a couple considerations to keep in mind. Here's how I do it. First, I think a big part of it just has to do with how comfortable you are with being leveraged and having debt. I hear a lot on bigger pockets or different investors about, you know, 0% financing, having no equity or, you know, finding, finding ways. And, you know, it's, it's pretty much maximum leverage. I know we're not talking about money that we're putting down on individual properties yet, but I'm just kind of talking in general. But then there's those on the other hand that really try to avoid debt at all costs possible. And again, there's no right or wrong. There are pros and cons to both sides. As long as you understand them and you're okay with with the risks and with the direction and the speed that you're going, then there's no problem with that. For me, I know that when I look at most people that have built themselves to a high level of success, it's very likely that 
they leveraged a significant amount to get to where they are. And I'm relatively comfortable with that. I want to find a balance, but I'm, I'm definitely not afraid of debt because it's, it's a huge part of what has allowed me to, to get to where I'm at at this point in my life. So that's the first thing is, is debt and leverage. The second thing I think that you need to keep in mind is your timeline as far as needing the cash flow from your properties. The less you need the cash flow now, the more you can leverage in order to maximize your growth. When you're looking at your timeline, I think it depends a lot on how much cash flow you want to get and in what amount of time. So, for example, my dad has just started investing in real estate in the last few years, and uh, he's making decent money right now, probably the best that he's he's made in his his career. He's roughly 10 years away from retiring. So, at this point, he doesn't need a lot of cash flow from his properties uh, while his income is good. When he was first looking at real estate, his thought was to pay cash for a property and then to use the cash flow from that to save up and then and then purchase another property when he can. And I've gone back and forth with him kind of talking about other options. But so I proposed another scenario. You know, I've, I've kind of had to think through this in my mind, like how would I tell him to make it make decisions and really kind of what it's come down to in our, in our conversations is to base your decision based on, on three things. And I think in general, this is a good way for everyone to develop a plan as far as uh, a timeline for investing in real estate. So the first thing would be your tolerance for debt and leverage. How much, how much are you comfortable with? The second is your timeline, meaning how many years of investing before you really need this income. And then third is your desired cash flow at the time that you will be depending on it for your income. So those three things, the same way that in TLP, where we're talking about our reverse engineering, our practice in order to get to the, the lifestyle that we want to get to, we do the same with real estate. We look at where we want to be there and we kind of work backwards and see where we need to get to. So anyway, so I kind of went through those questions with my dad. I asked him if he was comfortable with having any debt on the properties when he got to retirement. And he said, well, I'm okay with with some debt if the majority of it is paid off. So then the next question, okay, well, how much cash flow do you want when you get to retirement? So then we get a number there and then we work backwards. Okay, well, we've got X amount of years this is where we want to be. And so we figured out a total number number of properties that he should work on accumulating and how many needed to be paid off by the time that he retired. And, uh, you know, I explained to him that I felt like this was the better plan because it's, it's helping him to, to maximize his returns. So when he gets to retirement, he'll have the cash flow that he wants, but he'll also keep growing his equity as uh, his other properties are become paid off. Then each time one of those is paid off, he gets a raise essentially. So anyway, that's that's my way of saying that's the way that I am approaching things. I have a timeline with a goal for a certain amount of passive income with a, a, a desire. I basically want about a quarter of them paid off and three-fourths of them financed. 
So in this scenario, my living expenses are, are completely covered. I'm free to do what I want with my lifestyle. And over time, because because I'm still pretty young at this point, I've, I've still got a lot of time where those properties continue to pay themselves off. And then I can either take a raise with the increased cash flow, or I can refinance and take money out, or I can, t- can continue to invest in others. I just feel like it, it gives me the, the most most options moving forward. Yeah, really good points. You know, for me, I'm pretty much along the same line. I think, you know, it's a balance between your current position and your end goal, what you want to have done. Mathematically, you know, the more you leverage, the better your rate of return. So, you know, theoretically zero down, you're going to get the greatest percentage of return. But if the end goal is early financial independence off of you know, these investments, you end up favoring more equity sooner rather than later, kind of kind of where like where Justin's at right now. For me, at least right now, you know, I have a very strong cash flow for my practice. So I'm interested in building the portfolio more than paying down properties. But I still have a balance. I like to do um, 25% down and then uh, put them on a 15 year mortgage instead of you know, like a 30 year mortgage. And this gets the property with a fair amount of equity in it and it sets up the financing. So it will pay itself down pretty aggressively as compared to a 30 year mortgage. So, you know, if you're getting $1,100 in rent from a property, a 30 year mortgage will probably cost you $600 a month, you know, and then after insurance and property management, you take home maybe two or two fifty. But if you put it on a 15, which I'm doing so far, you know, it's upping the mortgage a couple hundred dollars a month. So the cash flow is a lot less, but it's snowballing itself in a, in a way. Um, and that's because I don't really need the profits from these properties right now in the form of cash flow, but I will in a few years. And so I'm kind of preparing for that. Uh, you know, the end goal I envision in a couple of years when my wife and I reach our independence uh, goal, we'll hopefully have half to maybe a third to half of the properties paid off clean and then, you know, leveraging the rest with a fair amount of equity in it. Do you guys have a monthly cash flow number in your minds that would essentially mean you're free or this is the number I would need to get to, to know I could walk away if I wanted to. Fun question. <laughs> and when do you want to get there? Let me add that caveat. When do you expect, or when do you, what's your goal? When would you want to be at that number? These are the, the great questions. And I have shared these with some. I'm a little bit leery to, to share it on the open air where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still running a practice. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of be general about it. But I love to play this game. I love running scenarios. You know, even in, in dental school, I was always writing, okay, here's my, here's my plan. Here's my opportunity here. And then another one would come up and I write pros and cons for each of them and go back and forth. And I I feel like I did this like weekly for, for years. And, you know, the plan just kind of each time got a little bit better. So I still feel like I'm playing that same game and I really enjoy it, but basically crunching the numbers, like I shared with, with that spreadsheet, adding the next property on, seeing how that plays into things. So I do have a timeline and I do have a number that I'm working towards. 
I know that for for me and my family, our cost of living will very likely just increase and go up over time. This is another reason that I really like my scenario of getting to that point of needed cash flow flow now with with about a quarter of the properties being paid off and then most of them financed because those properties are going to pay themselves off over time, again, increasing our cash flow. So I feel, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's definitely a number that I'm working towards and I feel good about knowing that I'll, I'll reach this kind of, like you said, Justin, this, this minimum and that uh, it, it's just going to go up from there. Yeah. What about you, Steve? I'm just kind of waiting for Derek to get there and then I'll just probably move in his basement. <laughs> Actually, you're probably going to be traveling, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Steve, I got bad news for you. There ain't no basement big enough for your family. Yeah, that would be a really big basement. <laughs> Sad because it's true. I'm pretty similar, really. As of right now, I'm kind of looking at it a kind of two-pronged approach, if that makes sense. So we kind of have two vehicles that we're focusing on. First is is the you know passive streams of income right now. Most of that being real estate that will you know allow us some cash flow for the foreseeable future. You know, and I'm thinking you know something similar to Derek. In my mind, I have you know this two million dollar figure, which if you are getting ten percent off, it would give you you know two hundred k years, something like that. But that's kind of the first first one, and that's the fun one. Then the second is second vehicle that we're investing in is is kind of more traditional route, which is building up a pension or a nest egg that you basically don't touch, and it's just going to grow, you know, tax free or tax deferred rather, you know, until you're sixty, and then and then at that point you'll be very well off no matter what happens. You know, this one isn't nearly as fun, like I said, but. My financial advisor and and my tax team guys, they kind of showed me that funding this pension strategy um, really comes at a bargain if you're a business owner. So I'm funding these through the dental practice largely as business expenses. And we're talking like a safe harbor 401k, a cash balance plan, Ross for myself and family members. And um, basically putting it away so that you know, while you're young, if you hit a certain number when you're 60, that number will, you know, triple three or four times and then you'll kind of be set. So it's kind of tricky to to try to invest and maximize both of those um, baskets. But as of right now, that's kind of the goal that we're doing. What about you, Justin? How did you look at it? Are you a monthly thing or, or are you kind of just looking at a mountain of equity in all your, your properties? As I've mentioned before, mine was, and I I don't have any patience and I'm worried about hearing it at this point, but mine at the time was $20,000 net with other suppositions in place. Like our main home was paid off, a certain amount of liquid cash in the bank, other investments, yada, yada, yada. And I will say, and I know it's true for you guys, is I wanted to be in a place where real estate would take care of all my family's financial needs if it came to that. You know, I didn't want to have to depend on anything else. We have other investments, 401k, some stocks, I lend money, the farms, TLP, whatever. But at the end of the day, I wanted to know if all else failed, we were still okay because of our monthly income from our real estate properties. And that's really a big part of the reason why I love real estate. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Real estate is is really nice in this aspect because it's pretty incredible as far as cash flow. You look at other opportunities like the stock market, investing in other businesses. Uh, with those, th- with all of those things, you can get good returns, but it's going to be much more difficult to try and methodically and strategically get to specific goals and numbers. You know, even with something like hard money lending, you have to keep finding the opportunities or reinvesting. It's it's not exact exactly consistent cash flow, and that's. That's just one of my my favorite things that, like, as we've talked about, you know, property values can go up and down, but rents stay really relatively stable. Um, you know, the the United States is not going to get any bigger. You know, we're we're not we're not creating new land, so this is you know only a, a certain amount of of it that that can be there. So it's 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 tough to see the value going down much over time either. I think it's just going to continue to increase. So it's uh, overall, I just think there's a lot of benefits yeah. to it. Yeah. Good info, man. That's fun talking about big questions, financial freedom. I think maybe that's a good stopping point for today. If that's all right with you guys, we want, uh, we want to keep these in manageable size segments. So we'll, we'll kind of sum up today. Next week, we will hit part three, and we're going to be talking specifically about how to get started. The first steps we're going to take, first steps you should take to start looking for your first property, start learning about real estate. So if you guys have any questions, feel free to email us, post them on our TLP podcast Facebook page, and uh, just let us know whatever whatever we can do to help. But thanks for listening with us. I think we'll try and get into and start sharing a few like particular deals and how we work through them. So, you know, if you have, if you have any that you're interested in knowing about, or, you know, any potential deals that might be fun to, to work through some stuff. So go ahead and p- post it and we'll try and share feedback. But yeah, as always, thanks for listening. If you're getting any value, we ask that you go to iTunes and leave us an exceptional review. We get that it takes a little work, but we really do appreciate it. Yep. So we hope to hear from you guys either via email with some questions or our preferred way would be to just straight up post them on the TLP podcast Facebook page so that we can talk about it there and also hopefully address them on the air. So don't be afraid, be bold, be courageous, post questions if you got them. And thanks for listening. And until next week, peace. Listen to me.